Hello everyone. I have an exciting announcement before we get started today. There's a new poker stream organized by Zach Resnick that will take place on Sunday, February 7th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. He will be playing in the game alongside other business entrepreneurs, and it will provide an inside look at the burgeoning startup industry in Austin. Just Hand's favorite, Tommy Angela, will be on commentary. Come check it out. Learn more at pokerunicorns.com. Uh, there will be a link in the description. All right, thanks everyone, and enjoy the episode. Hello, James. Hello, Jack. James, happy Wednesday. It's a uh, hump day, I say. That it is. <laughs> uh we need to have i don't know i don't think the bit should be about days of the week it's... <laughs> um i'll tell you something exciting that's going on is i've been getting into some of these uh stocks the stock business so it's a little bit like poker Yeah, it's, a, it's like poker except for everyone wins and then everybody loses and then everyone wins again and then everyone loses again. Not exactly. There's a lot of nuance there. But, you know, unlike the poker boom where even though people are, you know, funneling into the game, still on net, a lot of money is being lost. With the Robinhood surge, it seems as though people are doing quite well. Uh, I don't think it will continue indefinitely. But hey, I'm glad people are getting to experience a little bit more gambling, uh, find something to do with the free time that a lot of people are encountering. And I wish them the very best of luck. And in my experience, the stocks have only gone up. So uh... I think there's a saying that past performance is uh, a guarantee of future performance. So it sounds okay. like you can be a very rich man, James. <laughs> Good. Well, for the for those of us who are not so rich, there's one two Texas Hold'em, <laughs> which is not to say that you can't be rich and also enjoy a game of one two. Yeah. But I think that uh, it tends to be more of a a game for those who are not looking to gamble a very large amount of money, and I think gambling plus being rich tends to correlate with wanting to gamble for large amounts of money. Anyways, we all know this. This is a 1-2 game. It's coming from a Tennessee home game. Uh, very recent home game. The game's, and it's, this is notable, the game started at 5 p.m. And this hand took place around 3 a.m. Oh. So we're 10 hours into a home game. Is it, which, uh, is it an in-person game or a virtual game? We might find out. Okay. But I don't. I can't confirm either way. But I'm guessing it was in person, just based on the fact that they didn't say it was online. Okay. I have to admit, I don't know if I've ever been ten hours into like a home cash game. Maybe I've gotten close. I've definitely done it with tournaments, but that's a that's quite a lot of action. That's impressive for a home game. Well done. 
I heard about some home games that were running 24 hours a day virtually during the the pandemic. I don't know if they, I don't think they were over Zoom though. Maybe it's the same game. Who knows? So there are three players in the hand to start. Hero is the big blind. Villain is the cutoff. Player three is on the button. Uh, it is a fairly splashy one-two home game, but it plays more like a two-five, especially after the game has been running for some time. Player three is familiar to me. It is an average home game rec player, calls large bets with any draw, very value heavy, doesn't bluff enough. A hero writes, I've never played with villain before, but in the last eight hours, I've seen him play a somewhat tight, aggressive strategy, pushing the action when he raises preflop, continuing with large bets on most boards. I've seen villain bluff multiple times with turn and river bets of greater than $200, and even all in for $800 with a 10 high on the river. He seems like a player who's somewhat thoughtful, but mostly uses larger sizes to get opponents to fold. I, Hero, am a rec player who only plays once a week, but I've established a bankroll and I try to study, read articles, listen to podcasts to improve my game. I've described my strategy as tight aggressive. My image at the table is a solid player. All right. Uh, like those descriptions. I wonder if we're going to find out how many players were in the game total. Uh, we should also know that we're 10 hours in. <laughs> uh, I think 10 hours in, we are a little bit more likely to see loose play, but I also think that we are potentially more likely to see bigger folds from players, especially who or I, I think, you know, we're at a point where people are tired, so their emotions are going to probably start impacting their play more. They're obviously here to gamble. Uh, if you're not sort of feeling the rush of things, then you probably aren't sticking around for 10 hours. And also, I think uh, the overall swings are probably more significant. There are probably going to be players who are up a lot, players who are down a lot. Players who are up a lot are probably going to become more risk-averse for very large bets. Players who are down a lot, it's hard to say. Uh, it can go both ways. That's that's what I expect to see. Yeah, I think players who are up a decent amount might might avoid calling like very, very big bets that could threaten whether they're stuck or not for this session, but we'll call more medium-sized bets, in my experience. Yeah, in my, in my experience, you know, home games, or bluffs in general, I would say, work better in, like, the smaller and larger sections of, like, the bluffing tree, where, like, C-bets tend to work well, double barrels tend to work somewhat well triple barrels for in like single raised pots for not very big amounts of money tend not to work very well in my experience mm -hmm. and then the other types of bluffs that work well are you know very large bluffs in in certain situations um and i think that at the beginning of the night bluffing tends to work better overall in a home game setting and then towards the end, of, towards the middle of the night, it just doesn't work as well. 
and then towards the end of the night, it starts working well again, especially against players who are up. Yeah. It's difficult to keep that all in mind, like when playing, but I th all those things strike me as true. Yeah, I, th I think that, you know, what the hand details are still is of the greatest importance, but those are really key, I think. Um, if it's a six hour to 10 hour home game in between like the 25 and 75 percentile points in the game, you just did no bluffing, it wouldn't necessarily be like the worst thing in the world. A reserve take, I guess, but keep an eye out for it. So here has twelve hundred dollars in a one-two game, villain fifteen, and then player three eight hundred. We don't have much detail about who's up, who's not, which is important. Um, and so, I, in a future hand from this hero, I'd like to see more about that information. It kind of sounds like villain would have been down because he made a big bluff, but maybe that was a bluff that worked. Um, so, so I think that that would be other. I, I like these villain descriptions for you know for this format, but I think that would be the information that if I could request anything, I would request is just how are these players' nights going? Was that bluff called? Is that a bluff that got through? The fact that we saw it is is notable. So villain in the cutoff opens to $25, which is a fairly standard raise at this time in the game. <laughs> uh, Love it. Yeah, most players are pretty deep. Average decks are in $800. Player three calls on the button, hero calls in the big blind. We have queens. So we're facing 25, which is pretty standard. We get a call, cutoff button, we're in the big blind, we have queens. James, make the case for three bidding here. Uh, can I make, I wanna make the case for flatting. <laughs> Just we'll do that. Okay, fine. I'll make the case for three betting. Okay. Uh, and then make the case for flatting. I think the, the thing, the, the case you can make for three betting is does it help you maximize your upside, sort of the best case scenarios? And so that would be, you know, Queens is an overpair to the board or a set of queens. Um, and you know, what kind of hands are you going to be able to get to call a lot of money? You know, what's the alternative against these hands? It's, it's not going to be trivial to get stacks in in this spot with any hand. Uh, and queens actually may not be the type of hand that falls into 
the get stacks in good bucket that often. And so that, that being said, we have such a big open that that actually comes a little bit more into play because it is, you know, in quotes, playing like a 2-5 game. It is not like we're actually 600 big blinds deep. And so if we three bet to, let's say, like $100 here or $125, we face a call, then we're heading to the flop with, you know, around 4-1 to SPR. And so on boards that are favorable for us, then we can leverage stacks across three streets. The question is just how often, like, are we going to be able to do that and expect to be good? And I'm not sure. It seems like the game is tight enough where, and it's it's a time of night where I wouldn't necessarily expect that to work out particularly well for us that often. Like, is jacks, are jacks tens on boards where we have an overpair and those aren't a set? Are those going to, like, call down? Um on a jack high, 10 high board, does our opponent call the three bet with jack X, 10 X and call down three streets? It could happen, but it's not a guarantee. And we have to weigh that also against you know, the times where our opponent, you know, flops a set, flops two pair, ends up with those types of hands later on. So, I think because we're at a point in the night where getting value through a highly aggressive line is a little bit impaired. I'm assuming that this player is up because they have $1,600 and average stacks like 800. So it's a little impaired because of the time of night and it's a little bit impaired because of the formation and our pro profile. I want to hear the case for flat because I think I'm leaning that way too. Yeah. Um... Just one more thing is I wanted to add like for three bet is button being in the hands, like them folding a king or ace here could be pretty good for us um, going forward in the hand if we choose to raise, um, which and that will comprise like a decent amount of their hands. I like flat because well, against this opponent, I think it'll be tricky to play out of position this deep after having gone for a three bet with what is probably a pretty narrow three bet range, um, given the open size. I think flat disguises our hand somewhat. And I don't, I don't know. It's, it's just really tough playing super deep against an aggressive opponent um, with queens here. What, what else do you like about flat? I feel like. I think in general, we just don't want to be three betting so much in this type of formation because right now there's just a huge amount of uncertainty for all of our hands. That uncertainty is going to really favor the imposition player who's going to disproportionately benefit from sort of like 
the the volatility of the situation in terms of equity distributions post-flop. And so I think it makes sense for us to very often wait as the out-of-position player until later in the hand where like the volatility in equity distributions is lower to start taking more aggressive lines. Which means that we probably don't want to, you know, just be three betting like an extremely wide range, which if if we were and we're perceived to be doing that, then our ability to get value with queens is a lot higher. And when when we're perceived to be sort of at like the bottom of the value portion of our three bet range, I, I just often find that it's it's better to be deceptive and that it's better to be at the top, even in the sort of like, I didn't expect you to have that hand portion of a flat range compared to being at the bottom of the, I, did, I still expected you to have that hand, but I didn't expect you to have much worse of a value range or just a range in general. Mm -hmm. I think it will be difficult to make really good decisions with queens on later streets after taking this action. Um, I mean, there are, there are obviously a lot of different boards that can come up, but like, yeah, we've, we've narrowed our range considerably. And like, given this open size, like we're not gonna have as many three bets, I imagine. Yeah, I don't know, it's, Actually, it's an interesting spot. I played an interesting hand this weekend where, and this was not for, because I was at the bottom of the ring in my range, I had aces in a very similar formation. Uh, sorry, somewhat, Dissimilar because the players were early position, but it was it's not a very positionally weird game. Uh, so it, it was similar. And I acted the flat because some of the, one of the players in the game was new. Another player in the game plays relatively tight against three bets. And I hadn't had an opportunity to three bet for the first couple hours of the game. And I felt that the value of being deceptive was just extremely high at this point. And that if I three bet, it would be perceived to be hands very similar to what I actually had. And, and that, that tends to be the number one factor for me is just try not to do the thing your opponent um, expects you to do within reason. Obviously that doesn't mean like just, you know, go nuts with three just off suit, but in a game or in a situation where like there's two two decisions which are typically going to run pretty close in expected value, do the one that your opponent doesn't expect you to do. All right, again, we love preflop. Um, let's jump to let's jump to postflop because hero 
went with our advice and just calls. So we're three ways to the flop with queens out of position against two players. Uh, effective stacks are what? Um, 1,200 with main villain. Yeah, 1,200 with main villain. So it's around 10 to 1 with the uh, player on the button and around 15 to 1 with the player uh, in the cutoff. Flop is 894 rainbow. Hero checks. Any case for leading here? Actually, I do think there's a case for, for leading. Um, yeah. Check raise, check call, lead. These are all going to be solid options. What can be nice about lead is that we can put some of the overcards into a pretty tough spot. And I think we also can sometimes benefit from cutoffs over aggression here. Just because of how players tend to play a lead range, it tends to be hands like a nine, an eight. And those are hands that can often have a hard time holding on. One, because the, they lose to a lot of uh, villains' hands. And two, because there's, there's a lot of turns that start to be kind of ugly for those hands, like a 10-jack queen. And those hands are not anywhere near as bad for our hand. And so if we can induce some bluff raises from cutoff and also deny equity and get value, uh, that is a, there's a lot to be said for that. We have, Button's also not someone who's going to be doing a lot of bluffing, apparently. And so when villain checks, we should expect it to check through fairly frequently. So I can definitely get behind a lead here and just kind of play it the way that you ought to play it against your opponent who thinks that you probably have like a nine or an eight or maybe a draw. Yeah. I like lead as well, I think. And part of it is like the formation, like you mentioned, if the more aggressive and bluff heavy villain was on the button, um, I think there would be bets more frequently. But yeah, because uh, the villain, the cutoff has to worry about button behind. I think the bet frequency will be a bit lower. And yeah, we have a bit more deception with our hands here through the lead. In some ways, I'd rather have aces here. I mean, it's like, oh, I'd rather have aces than queens. But I think we might get raised by some over pairs here, which is nice um, and nicer if we have aces. Um, yeah. that, that said, like aces and kings might flat a little bit more because there's less to protect against. 
Um, but I think the this comes down, or sort of the aces versus aces and kings consideration is important. But I think it's it's more important if we're sort of differentiating between check call and lead, because mm-hmm. if we're considering check raise, then we're sort of like ready to sign our. We're we're ready to sort of lose to aces and kings if we lead or if we check raise. We don't always have to, but I think that that's that's really the thought behind those plays, is that. Obviously, if you check raise and then face a three bet, things are a little bit different. But one, I don't expect that to happen. And two, I I think a a big part of the value in leading is that you're expecting to get bluff raised and also thin value raised. And so you you do have to be just kind of ready for to hold on against those hands. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think the, the alternative line that I like is check call, which is you also are going to induce bluffs. You can check raise on later streets as well if you want. And you're, you're mitigating your uh, risk against hands like, you know, two pair and kings and aces. Yeah. I think I think I still prefer lead just because I don't think the the bet is coming through that frequently. But if this guy is a really aggressive C better, then um, I like starting with a check more. Yeah, I like lead. Lead's good. It's a fishy line we're advocating for: flat queens <laughs> pre, lead flop. I know. <laughs> I love it though. Um, yeah, I, one thing I'll say about leading is that in general, I think leading is more important when the preflop raiser is sort of later in the action. It's like a good example would be, let's say there were two limpers, late position raises, we call a big blind, and then two limpers call. That's a situation where we want to do a lot of, a good amount of leading with our continues because the convention is very often to check the preflop raiser, and the preflop raiser shouldn't be doing that much C betting in a four way pot. So it just checks through very frequently. That's different when it, let's say, like middle position raises, two late position players call, and then we're in the big line we call. Here, I think we should be betting very infrequently because we there are three players that are each going to have a reasonable betting frequency. Um, the difference in this spot is that we know that button doesn't bet that often and also we have queens so we're just like a little bit more incentivized to try and drive action than we typically are going to be in a situation where we're multi-way first to act so as played hero checks cut off bets fifty dollars button calls So do you like flat? Or Remind me the, the flop texture again. 984 rainbow. Okay. And we don't have information about suits. Yeah, I like 
I think I prefer raise here because I think we'll get pretty honest information um, if we face a three bet or a, like a call and then cold three bet, or I don't even know what to call it, if, if button raises again. Um, yeah, like a lot of 9x will be in kind of a tough spot. It might fold, it might call. Both aren't particularly bad. Like we're happy if 9x. Yeah. Um, it's like to get another bet in against 9x or if they fold out whatever 25% equity. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a raise. And we don't have to go board. super big either. Like we go 3x or something, 2.5x. I think the reason to raise is, or there's a couple things about button calling that make me want to raise more than if we were just facing a bet from Dylan. It's the combined denial effect, the fact that there's two players to deny equity against. Mm -hmm. It's the, the fact that there's two players putting in money means it's less likely that actually I think either of them have nutted hands. Uh, it's obviously more likely that they have nutted hands than if it had gone check, check. But compared to either like check button bets or bet button folds, there's going to be fewer like nine eights. There's going to be fewer sets of nines, eights, fours, in my opinion. And so I think that that means that the most likely hands, or we still have to be worried about aces, kings. We still have to be worried about those hands in general, but they're going to be less frequent. Yeah, and we're going to be losing bets to them on later streets anyway. I'm not sure we're losing more through the raise here. I mean, it, it depends on the run out. I think I would opt for a larger raise size. Because I think we don't want to get three bet. So we want to choose a size that is awkward to three bet against. Okay. And I also think that I'm pretty happy with denial in this spot. And I think we want a little bit of transparency around the types of hands that are likely to continue. And so going small is, is nice that we, we get some of like the junk to fold from villains range or from like cost range. And we can maybe target button more on later streets. I, I actually don't. I'm, I, I see good cases for the smaller race and the larger race. Uh, I think I might be with you on the smaller race, actually, just because Villain does have a lot of folds. Villain being the cutoff player mm -hmm. three, as he's been specified, being the button. Yeah, I think it, it depends. Like, do you want simplicity? Or are you trying to chase value against, I would say, button especially? So I think it's going to be hard to get a ton of value against villain's range here after we check raise. We can, but it's not trivial. It's easier, I think, to value target button's range. Yeah. So I, I, would, I would also be considering, like, how is button's night been? How much does he chase? We have information that button chases, so 
Yeah. I also Queens is kind of important because we block Jack tens outs. Yeah. And so we have, we have much less incentive to deny equity from those types of hands, which I think we can get to call a turn raise somewhat frequently. Like if we make it 150 now, and then we make it like 250 on the turn, trying to squeeze value, that's a lot more acceptable because of uh, the reduction in villains outs. Mm -hmm. What Villain are we doing on a queen river? Block back uh, fold just, or yeah. something? Check fold? I mean, it's it's weird. It's a weird spot to be in. Yeah. It doesn't come up too much. Yeah. I think Bethel, I think Bethel is pretty reasonable against that player. Uh, but it might get it might be awkward. We may also want to just check fold depending on SPR. Mm -hmm. And then we might have to just consider shove. I don't think we're gonna get to that point though. We we're as much as we love the hypotheticals, we gotta let's reel back in just a little bit. Hypotheticals are important because that, that all matters to this decision. We can't make this decision without thinking about those things, or at least we can't make the best decision possible. But hey, it's a podcast. <laughs> Euro does what? raise to 155. Yeah, I like it. I like it too. And both players call. Interesting. Yeah. I think this makes Button having a draw more likely, I would say. Yeah, I think there are a lot of overpairs now in cutoffs range. Yeah, there are a lot of overpairs. Nine draws still in the range. Yeah. I mean, yeah, 9x will like block some of our value. So if Ellen's thinking like that, could be a reasonable continue, although yeah, it's a bit tough with button behind as well. So the turn is a three. So eight, nine, four, three. It's about as bricky as it gets. Um, full rainbow board. We have queens. SPR is, so there's about 550 in the pot. And The, uh, the player on the button has about 600 or so behind, and Hero is about 1,025 behind. So it's a tricky spot. Because I think it's hard for us to, like, let's say we shoved. Do you think we can get value shoving? It's tough. Probably not so much. Um, Maybe it does. It does like force Jack Ten out, which isn't the end of the world. Like those hands do have. 12% equity. I mean, yeah, maybe it's not so good. Yeah, we deny some, we definitely deny like, most hands we're gonna deny probably somewhere between like 10 and 15% equity. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there's two players that we can deny from, but it would be a big price to pay for denying equity because we we are going to get snapped by a reasonable amount of hands that are ahead of us. Jacks and tens, I think, are our best candidates to get called by worse if we went for a line like all in. But those are, we can't give those full combos, in my opinion, because the presence of draws in like each other's range. Mm-hmm. And so instead of like six, or sorry, instead of 12 combos of those hands compared to 12 combos of faces and kings, I think we probably want to anticipate more like eight combos of those hands. Um, maybe even a little less, but not much less. But I, I think probably like eight or nine is, is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what about smaller bet betting like 350 here in this spot? 350 is nice in that I think we can get some of that denial. It's tricky when we face it all in, but I think we can just call and sometimes we'll face a bluff if it's from, we'll be facing a bluff sometimes, especially from Villa, mm-hmm. but it's a little ugly. We might want to, it might be better to bet fold. Yeah. I mean, if we face like all in call, we could fold, I think. Yeah, I think I agree there. Um, although, like, sometimes you'll just see, like, two jack tens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so even then, I, I don't know if I love it. But I like it better than all in, I think. Because um, I think we get a lot of... I think we get a good amount of that denial. Um, and if we don't, we get value, and then we end up spiking a queen or a nine and fold. It's like, okay, it's okay. Uh, what about we, I guess we haven't talked about check yeah I think we should we should talk check the key question about check is how often do players bet with hands that are at an equity disadvantage to queens So either draws or like a nine or tens or jacks. Mm-hmm. We kind of know from Button's profile that he he isn't likely to. Yeah. Villain we know can bluff. And so I think I think cutoff we can anticipate will bet some hands of that nature. It's a tough spot to bluff into two opponents like after the check raise has gone into the flop. And what do you think like jacks or tens or even like ace nine do though? If it goes, if we check raise mm-hmm. the flop and then check, and we get this turn. Those hands just check. So yeah, I think 
you know, it's a bit of a tough spot to bluff. I think it can be done. Or I think this villain, we should expect him to do it sometimes. But I think the, the hands that can bet here actually a fair amount that we're happy to see bet um, are like jacks, tens, even ace, nine, king, nine. What do you think? Yeah, I think I I think those hands will mostly check, but I could be wrong. I I think it it's this makes me want to the small or whatever the three fifty bet size is looking better to me at this point. Well, can we check raise all in against the cutoffs? Bet. Against bet from cutoff and fold from button. Anything but even if button goes all in. Sorry, okay. no, sorry, no, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Even if button calls. Let's say it goes check villain bets like something between two fifty and four fifty. Mm-hmm. Which maybe there's differences between those sizes, but let's just say it's something like that. Um, do you feel good going all in against that range? Mm, I think we'll be behind too often. Um, facing, yeah, like when, when our opponent calls. We do get to deny equity and always realize our equity. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough because I think if jacks, if jacks, tens, like 9x, always bet folds, then the the check shove looks much worse. We, We do get to deny equity against those hands and some draws potentially, but it's still a, it's a little tough to, just see really strong hands here or there. We, I mean, you know, if jacks folds, queens can fold, kings can fold, but I, I think there's a pretty reasonable way of differentiation between those hands that I expect a good amount of opponents will make a differentiation. Yeah, and, and like you said as well, like there's a little bit less jacks and tens because... Um, they're being blocked probably by yeah. one another. Uh, we never end up in a situation where like the river comes at 10 and we pay off to like a 7-6 type hand or something. Mm-hmm. Or the river comes to seven and we fold. So I think I think bet or I don't like shove. I would if we roll out shove, I'm pretty comfortable with like our options. I think check shove is reasonable. I think bet is reasonable. Do we do we fold against an all-in or do we call against an all-in? I think that's it's close. We would want to think about that more, but I don't think that 
which expect to see that so often against a range that has us like totally flummoxed such that we should rule out bet. And I think check call is also okay. It feels a little less inspired to me because yeah. I do think it just goes check, check a lot. Yeah, exactly. Well, Hero does decide to check. Villain does bet 350. Button folds. And Hero decides to rip it. Which we've, we've, we've kind of talked about. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a case for it. You have to be confident you're up against, I think, a number of worse hands, both bluffs and value. And then the better, the more of those worse hands that call, the better this is. Yeah. Awesome. Anything, uh, anything you want to add before we get to results? Uh, I've, I'm just thinking I don't think we're good here, but part of that is because the hand was written in. Um, All right, well, let me add a detail. Yeah. Villain tanks for five minutes and then calls. Oh. Do you think we're good? Um... Uh, I still know, still know, but what if I, I've you, been wrong before. What if you, like, what if we didn't know this was a podcast hand that someone wrote into us? Yeah, yeah. And you just heard, like, you know, God came down and whispered this hand history to you, told you villain tanked five minutes. Mm -hmm. What would you think? Would you think we were good? Um, If God whispered it to me, um, I think it's it's closer and more 50-50. <laughs> well, God was not with us on this one. Villain calls and the river is an eight. The final board is eight, nine, four, three, eight. Uh, oh, we actually, we have a good amount of information or I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll reveal because We've uh, we know we lost, so we lost to Kings. Okay. So some more, some more info we're getting from Hero here. The twenty-five open by villain is standard. The button call is typical. The action is not mean the big blind. We've played many three-bet pre-flop pots throughout the night, but with two aggressive players in position, likely to call any three-bet by me. I decided to call the twenty-five and react to the flop. Um, and I think that that sounds good, except for I, I think you're you're switching up your reads a little bit here, uh, because before we only had one aggressive player. Here it continues. I think eight nine four rainbow is a good flaw for my hand, and I feel like my opponents can have many combos of pairs of straight draws. I decided to check with the plan of raising flop. Villain leads fifteen button calls. I think villain can have many pairs and ace high, as well as straight draw hands. Once button calls, I think he's on the draw or has a weak pair and wants to continue as cheap as possible. Putting in a raise just over 3x is a way for me to fold out high cards and make any draws pay. 
Uh, and I, we both like that line of thinking. Once both players call, I think I'm fading many cards on the turn, mainly a 7, 8, 9, 10, Jack, or Ace. I don't think you're fading an Ace, personally. Like, I don't think Ace, you should expect Ace highs to call you very often. Uh, and it's, I actually think that's important. Like, you can be up against Ace high, or hands like Ace 9, Ace 8, but we don't want to turn a card that's not a scare card into a scare card. Yeah. I think... Maybe it reduces our ability to get value from Jackson tens. Um, not yeah, that I think it necessarily in a, in a game, should. But... In a one-two game, that's that's true. Yeah, uh, yeah and I, I think the fact that there's so many fade cards kind of shows as well that none of these are that bad. I don't think an eight is that bad. I don't think a jack is that bad. Uh, I think a jack can actually end up being kind of good. But I agree. These are cards to, to take note of. Queen's also pretty interesting. But I think Hero would be happy enough to see a queen. Mm -hmm. uh, on the turn, at least. When the turn brings a three, I think my hand is secure with the exception of going against a set. Uh, definitely would, I think James is not cautioning to just stay conscious of aces and kings, which are very important in this spot in and had a big impact in our discussion of what to do on the turn. Here yeah, like what, another okay. thing I'd say is like, what other line do you expect aces and kings to take from cutoff? Yeah, I think like three bit flop at some frequency is reasonable, possible, but, but I, I don't think, think it happens most of the time. I agree. Uh, all right, just a re recap. Hero, Hero said that when the turn brings a three, I think my hand is secure with the exception of going against a set. I decided to check to play a little pop control and see what the action brings. And the villain bets almost immediately 350 into a $540 pot. I think the almost immediate bet would strongly shift me towards check call instead of check shove. What do you think, James? Yeah, it's interesting. I think bluffs usually come in faster, but that's often like when the player already has um, like the initiative, so to speak. Um, and yeah, I think you'd have to think a little bit more if you wanted to bet Jack 10 here. Probably. Um, I just think it's a more polarized range. Okay. I'm not saying we should fold, but I think like ace nine, king nine, tens, jacks are all a little less likely. Yeah. yeah. And I would shift villain into the poles. So button folds as expected, hero writes, although. Yeah, I mean. I guess I would probably expect it, but you know, we don't, we already said this this button chases draws, so like with this with this villain that like always fold Jack ten, maybe maybe not. The action is on me. I don't act immediately as I stop and think about my options for at least ninety seconds. I think the villain does not want to call at this point; would rather take the pot down right now. 
I put them on every reasonable combo of 9x, 8x, and all jack 10 suited. I don't think about folding at all. It's either call or shove. I decided to shove and hope for a loose call, thinking Bill would not flat the flop check raise with an overpair. Turns out I was wrong. Yeah, I think shove against the range that you're thinking makes total sense, uh, but we just disagree. I think I don't expect a lot of three bets from overpairs in position on a board like this. Yeah. Um, I, I think this might be a little bit of a product of being used to not playing, what is it, 400, whatever, 600 big steep. Um, you know, like if you're playing like 100, 200 big steep or something with the large open sizes of one, two, um, yeah, it's a lot easier to get the money in with the overpairs here. But once you're, when you're this deep, uh, yeah, you have to be more cautious. Yeah, agreed. Ah, we get the information. Ah, uh, damn. Maybe I need to take notes on these hands and not read them in order. Anything else important uh, is a question we always ask and it comes at the end. And Villain and Hero had both been winning during the session, which was in its eighth hour. I believe each player was only in for 300, so we were both playing stacks with mostly profit. And that's definitely another thing that would shift me towards not check shoving the turn. Yeah, you'll get fewer thin calls um, with the, when you're, yeah, with the big bets. And I think that's something that I underestimated in my analysis in the hand, which as we mentioned before the hand is something that's easy to do to forget about those sorts of dynamics. Yeah. yeah we're, well well we're done for including that. Yeah. Yeah. We're 10 uh, hours it's, in. It's hard. It's hard to factor in, in the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's key in these close spots. Yeah. I think it, it also can really be a boon to you in a situation where like you check call here and it goes check check on the river because villain's just a little gun shy. Yeah, like on the eight, like you know, it's not yeah. really texture changing, but I mean it should be a good card. It's like mm -hmm. but on the other hand, he might be saying, like, all right, is this guy really gonna call me with like a nine? Is that what I think that this player has? And it might just go yeah, check, check. Or pocket tens. Yeah. And like, yeah, if he's already winning on the night, it's like, well, you know, this pot's big enough. Yeah, lots of lots of good stuff in this hand. I, it was it was really interesting. I appreciate you sharing it. If you, the listener, have a hand you'd like to share, make sure you head over to justhandspoker.com. Head over to our contact page. We've got a form there. You can fill it out. It'll walk you through the process. It's uh, we get a lot of information from people who correspond with us, but you don't have to. Uh, we can make do with less. But also, if you want to, you know, as much as you want to share, we'll include it on the show. And if you don't want to wait several weeks for, to have your hand on the show, you can also sign up for Patreon and join our Slack group where we provide quick feedback to hands fairly quick, usually within the next day or two. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a good community. Just 
often a good discussion going in there. All right. Thank you guys for listening. James, thank you for joining me as always. And we'll catch you guys next week.